Heavenly Father, thank you that you are good. And when we don't think you are good, will you correct our wrong thinking? (laughs) Father, you are present with us and in us. And when we think you're not, please correct our incorrect thinking. Renew our minds. May we repent minute by minute, moment by moment in our thinking about who you are and your love towards us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. got this email this morning from our friend Craig Snyder. A lot of you know who Craig is. And uh, I know there are people going through a lot of stuff. There's been some heavy loss. Individuals have suddenly died. Car accidents. In fact, I know of two. Um, And a lot of struggle. And I was sharing this with Craig uh, this weekend. And he wrote me this. And I thought, I'm going to share it with you. Because we're not alone. All of us are affected by pain. Craig writes, Initially, he said this is for everybody, not just for me, but this is for whoever. If you learn to trust me, really trust me with your whole being, then nothing can separate you from my peace. Everything you endure can be put to good use by allowing it to train you in trusting me. This is how you foil the works of evil, growing in grace through the very adversity that was meant to harm you. Joseph was a prime example of this divine reversal, declaring to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do not fear what this day or any day may bring your way. Concentrate on trusting me and on doing what needs to be done. Relax in my sovereignty, remembering that I go before you as well as with you into each day. Fear no evil, for I can bring good out of every situation you will ever encounter. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Whoever needed to hear that, there you go. Well, in light of what I just shared, when things don't go according to plan, there are a number of families right now that are struggling with something that didn't go according to plan. Nobody plans loss. Nobody plans despair. Nobody plans for these things. So what do we do when our plans don't go our way, when our plans don't go according to plan? Well, the last two weeks, we ended up talking about this. One of the things we can learn is it's an opportunity to redirect our attention. We may not realize, again, with what we just read, focus our attention on the one who is our strength. It's also an opportunity to consider his plans may be different. Might be just different than you thought. You thought you had God figured out, but he's got something else going on he never let you in on. Are you okay with that? Not everybody is. We're too much of a control freak culture. We have to know. 
I have to have it planned. It's also an opportunity to trust. And we were covering some stories last week, and we're going to continue right now on stories of individuals who the story didn't go according to plan. They got hit with blindsides. What did they do? Well, one of them is Abraham and Sarah. Something happened to them in the very beginning when they got together. They ended up having to move. They moved away from family. How many have ever moved? Okay, that's almost all of you. You At different stages of your life, you're going to move. You know, I grew up in one house and never moved. It, It was, but today people are moving all the time, far more often than ever before. People don't stay in the same house as long, but they had to up, up, pull up their tents and move. So that was a big stress. Then they couldn't have a baby. Well, their plan was to have a baby. They wanted to have a baby. Sarah could not have a kid. That was devastating for them. Then they thought they'd try to help God out. Because God promised, you're going to have a baby. And she, you know, she pulls out her dentures. She goes, really? <laughs> okay? Like, you got to get this picture, this image. That, that's how, there's no way you can have a baby. So here, Abram, why don't you sleep with the handmaiden and produce a baby? That was not God's plan. He doesn't need our help. In fact, even after that, it was another, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 15, 20 years later, as it's even more impossible, God then gives them a baby. They did not plan that. It was in the absolute impossible when humanly it doesn't make sense. Please, this is a moment to learn something here. When it doesn't make humanly sense that your situation is redeemable, do not lose hope in the one who gives hope. It just means you're at the end of all your resources and can't see what could possibly come. If I were to give the microphone to individuals here, we'd be here for a couple hours just hearing the stories of God's faithfulness in impossible circumstances. This is just one. This is a big one. Most of us know this story. Then Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. There's another part of this story. Now, some people think that God didn't like or love Ishmael and uh, Hagar, but he did. There was something going on here that the, the goal God had, his love and grace, to be gracious to them and give them a baby, does not mix with self-made law, I'm going to help out and follow a bunch of rules. And that's what this is, is a picture of law does not mix with grace. It cannot. They're opposite. There's no room for it. And yet, it's because of this story, we have half our Middle East problems. The whole Islamic world, Jewish world, right there. Hey, who's their father? Who's their daddy? Abraham. <laughs> Something we're thinking about. Who else? Oh, yes, this story. Mary and Joseph. Yeah, they had, a, they had some blind sides come. See, suddenly Mary comes up to Joseph and says, I'm pregnant. Who's the father? <laughs> Obviously, he's not. And now they're dealing with guilt and shame, embarrassment. 
In fact, he wanted to put Mary away quietly because he loved her. He really did. I can't believe that you do this. It had to take God in the impossible to explain to him and give him peace when all the other voices are saying, not a chance, she's been with somebody else. Can you see the tension? When all of the other voices of those who should know the truth, God puts a different truth into it that was not even part of their world, a cubbyhole that didn't exist. Folks, this is important to remember for your journey. God may be teaching you something that you didn't see coming, that that doesn't fit with my truth. Maybe you haven't got the cubbyhole yet for that truth he's trying to teach you about himself. Maybe he's bigger and better than you thought. Be careful, because the voices will come and tell you, no, heresy, it's lie, it's terrible, don't, don't. Be careful. I was, I was just warned this week by a friend. That was upsetting in a good way and a sad way. But it reminded me, again, I need to be careful. How I teach? Teach with love. But it also built my conviction to say, hey, the journey I am on, this is one God has given me without a doubt. And just because everybody can't see it doesn't mean I'm on this journey. I'm not alone on it. But I'm unpacking things and repacking and God's saying, ah, this one isn't quite right. And then, and then reshapes this one. Oh, I never saw it that way before. The voices. Careful. Then they were forced to move. Ha! <laughs> A census came. The government made a rule and they had to take off to Bethlehem. How else was God going to get them to Bethlehem? God's design. Not our plans. They did not plan to move to Bethlehem. But at that point, some Caesar guy was census obsessed and kept having these censuses. He was proud of the numbers and the people and the control. And it forced them to move to Bethlehem. A forced move. Job loss. Something makes you move. Something you didn't see coming. And then we have the birth of Jesus. Now that, that's, that's huge. God becoming man, entering our world. Big change. And it changed everything. It changed history. It's still changing history, this fact. Oh, yeah. Then they had to move again. Like, once was not enough. Like, and then I have to go where? Egypt of all places? Are you kidding me? Boom, off to Egypt. Fulfilling the prophecy that God put in place hundreds of years before, out of Egypt he'll come. Well, how is that going to be possible? If he doesn't go there. This is a big prophecy being fulfilled. So they had to move there. Oh, yeah, then they had to move back. So not only that, the angel then said, it's now safe for you to come back. And they move back to Nazareth. Lots of changes, a lot of plans. Oh, and I'm sure the likely death of Joseph happened. So now single parenting has to happen. 
Like, we're just guessing now, because there's no more reference to Joseph. There's a good likelihood he, he died early. So, Mary is now having to care for all of them. Like, blindside? Loss of marriage? Loss of a loved one? Loss of what? Like, loss is big. It is a theme of our humanity. But it doesn't define who we are. It just points to what we walk through. So what else can we learn when our plans don't go according to plan? This is the last point. It's an opportunity to not assume. It's an opportunity to not assume. When God chooses a different option than the last time, is that okay? Well, here's how the Bible shows God worked. And we need to do it exactly that way. Well, I'm sorry. Jesus didn't heal everybody the same way. He didn't walk on every lake. He, like, you can't, these aren't repeatable things. In fact, the one guy had to hit his eyes twice. You know, mud, oh, not clear enough? Okay, again, boom, you know, like, why the double hit? Wasn't the first one good enough? Maybe it's for our benefit to learn. Not everything is repeatable. Remember, we're not to do what Jesus did in his actions. Not about copying his behavior. It's about copying his, what? Dependence. He abided in the Father. That is what Jesus did. That is what we're to do. If, if we have anything to pick, what would Jesus do bumper sticker? The only thing is abide. Because how can you possibly know what to do in any circumstance? This is exactly, what would Jesus do in this circumstance? You know, well, they didn't have roundabouts back then. What else? Isn't it funny how when sometimes we hear God worked a miracle because someone did X, people quickly want to learn how to do X. Or get a book or a video on how to master X. The plan. Ooh, that church has healing stuff. Ooh, that church, they cast out demons. Ooh, that church, whatever. They have great music. They got this. Who knows? And all these, all these people flock. They, they do this. But wherever, wherever the signs and wonders are, following the sign, and yet they're pursuing X as if X, the thing, is what is to be pursued, and it's not. They Focus, their focus tends to be on the method, not on the source. This is a tough one for me to even get, especially in church culture. There are some things you're supposed to do on a regular basis in churches. Why? Why is a good question. It's a really good question. God's method is not always repeatable. It may be unique for only you. The circumstance he has brought you through, the journey he gave you a revelation of, and how he got you there, may be unique for just you. And to force others to go through your path? No, you can't. That expectation needs to be surrendered so that he can work on whoever he wants to his way, knowing their unique idiosyncrasies, their pain from their past, what they believe about themselves, and all the darkness they're walking through. It's going to be very different than yours. That includes your spouse and your kids. Don't force them through the same system 
and having to repeat the exact same words back. I'm bumping into more and more people who have faith and don't go to church. They've been so disenfranchised from the religion of churchianity. I, I get to see it in the fire department. I get to see it with funerals. We're looking for authenticity here. I want to know Jesus well. I want to know his father well. This includes how, yeah, including how he communicated with you and how he got your attention. Like if God can get a hold of me from my past and save me through a bunch of stuff and bring me to the place I am today, he, <laughs> there's a lot of hope, okay? A lot of hope. And I bet you some of you can say the same thing. You didn't see it coming and suddenly, there it is. God got your attention. Some people get it at age five. Some get it at 25. Some at 55. Some at 85. I'm not kidding. Age is not the issue. It's also often unhelpful to throw traditional phrases or Bible verses at someone walking through pain or difficult times as if those verses or sayings will be magic wand for a positive change. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. You should go to church more. Read your Bible. The God will speak to you through that. Yes, just have more faith. You know, you know, all these phrases that we throw at them. Or did you do something wrong? You need to repent and ask God to forgive you. Then change will come. Like these ridiculous phrases when someone's in pain and going through a blind side. Do you know what we need to do? Come alongside and love them. Walk with them. Help them. Not try to convince them of your particular bent of theology, if that's what your ulterior motive is. That's why evangelism, pro- evangelism programs, I think, generally are unfair. There's no authentic desire to want relationship with people. Instead, it's a way to grow the church, to add the numbers, and it's slick. But if you're honest, many people do it out of the duty. There are people who do it authentically. Absolutely. But when it becomes a program of here's how we get people into our church, I have a problem with that. And yet, do you, you know I want more people here because I want more to hear this good news. Why are we keeping it to ourselves? Why aren't we bringing more people in? I don't know. I keep, keep kicking myself. It's not my church. It's not your church. It has to be individual wake-ups. God giving you the ideas. Giving me ideas individually. And sometimes we'll do a collective thing that actually can work. But ulterior motives. Walk with them. Love people in their pain. Cry with them. Don't be the answer person. That's sometimes really hard to do. Especially when people look to you for an answer. I've had to tell many families right, right in the middle of the visit, you know, so where is God in this? I said, this is not the time to talk about that depth. But be assured, he is not absent. That's all I can do. And a lot of those people I end up meeting again later and having a more meaningful talk. Here's a story of different methods, just to show you a contrast. You've heard the story here before. It's one of my quiet favorites. (laughs) David and Goliath. Two methods. 
So don't, don't assume the same method will happen again. But here, here's what happened with Dan, uh, in 1 Samuel 17. David was anointed. Anointed king of Israel. A young boy. All right? Then, he's absolutely inexperienced. He comes up uh, to help his brothers with food, sees the giant. Why aren't you guys doing something about this? I'll do it. He, you know, do you ever have a really enthusiastic youth in junior high who... It's just like, oh boy. You know, you just you got to shake your head. I was that guy. <laughs> Young and inexperienced. Anointed. He also had, his method was no armor. Saul tried to put armor on him. So here, go out and fight, because that's our method. This is how you do it. Do it our way. It's like church. Here's how we do it. Our program. It's the way we do things. No. Individually. What door is opening for you? He strips himself of that stuff, goes with what he's already been accustomed to, gets a sling in his stones. And God used one person, solo. He used David to take out Goliath. But each of them represented the nations. Whatever happened to David was going to happen to Israel. Whatever happened to Goliath was happening to, to that group of people. So, if Goliath would have won, they would have tried to wipe out uh, Israel and vice versa. One person. So let's, let's take a look at another story. Second Samuel. Did you know there was two giants? Some of you don't know this story. But David met a relative of Goliath later and he couldn't defeat him. How many don't know that? Okay. All right, let me read for you. Obviously, it's in 2 Samuel 21. <laughs> Verse 15. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Gotta love this name. Ishbi Benob. Was a descendant, I could pronounce it, was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds. And as he was armed with a new sword, he had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, son of Zurah, came to his rescue and killed the Philistine. After that, David's men declared, you're not going to battle with us anymore. Why should we risk snuffing out the light of Israel? He met another giant he couldn't defeat. What is going on here? He was anointed. Still king. He was old and experienced. So don't say experience is necessarily the answer. God can sometimes reroute your experience and all the knowledge you have and all the fissures you have. It all depends on how open your hand is. Instead of being tight, holding on to your whatever it is you don't want to change, the more open it is, the easier it is for him to allow change into your mind and in your heart. The method, he was in full armor. He defeated without armor, and now he almost got defeated, and he had armor. Interesting. And he needed the help of someone else. And who did he use? 
a hot-headed nephew, a teen. Yeah. It took a teen to take out this giant. The ultimate source was who, do you think? I think it was God. That's how the story goes. Two methods. Two different giants. Two different circumstances. Giants come back, people. Just because you think you've defeated your giant. Oh, be careful. Here's some lessons from two giants. We don't lose our value by losing our ability. David had lost some ability. Didn't have the same stamina, the same energy. Let's take a look at our sports teams today, especially in hockey and, and stuff like that. Like the young guys, they're, they're like the woo-hoo, you know. The older guys are trying to catch up. But they're more skilled in certain ways, but oh my goodness. Well, that's even debatable. You don't lose your value. You are valued. That's a message that this world does not get very well. Number two, we should expect the enemy to be constantly on the attack. We've talked about spiritual warfare here. Don't forget there is an enemy trying to lie into your mind. To try and trick you into believing something that is not true. Usually attacks your identity. And does it at one of your weakest points. We should be alert that the enemy attacks us when, we're, when and where we are weak. Now, careful, the enemy does not know you 100%, okay? The, the enemy is not omnipresent and all-knowing, all right? Sometimes we equate evil or Satan uh, with the same power as God, and they're doing this wrestling back and forth. That's baloney. Satan is defeated. Done. He is defeated. So we are walking in a victory, doesn't always look like it in our circumstances. We should be alert to an old enemy with a new weapon. The second giant had a brand new sword. A new idea. We need the help of others in battle. We're not called to do this alone. There will be battles where you'll be on your own. The Holy Spirit will empower you and equip you to go. But there are many times we need each other. We need a good friend. We need to invest time in one another so that we have that to draw from. I remember, uh, I told you guys this before, but uh, um, there was a study done on what happens to certain cultures and groups or certain cities around the world where disasters have hit, where tornadoes and tsunamis. How did people rebound or did they? What, what, what is the link for those that actually did rebound well. The one place the best example came from was Japan. They were a people of community. Not taking. Here in North America, you hear a, a major storm's coming and everybody cleans out the grocery store. Me first. Emptied out all the toilet paper, just in case. All the canned goods, just in case. All the water, just in case. As long as I have it. Interesting. But in Japan, they don't. They think communal. They're community-sensed, not individual, self-centered. There's some things we can learn. The Eastern world gets that a whole lot better than the Western world. 
by a long shot. We need each other. Lastly, just like giants, temptations can come back in another form. I've heard many believers say, yes, I've conquered this. I'm no longer doing that. I, I'm over that. I have victory in that. As, and then they say it with a sense of, they'll never happen again. Ha! Careful. Not to say stay focused on that negative. I'm not saying that. But have, at least on the back burner in your mind, say, I need to be aware there may be another tactic coming. That giant may come back, or a relative of that giant may come back another way and try and tempt me or take me out. Temptations come back. This is where community helps. This is where talking and growing, being transparent with one another. One-on-one coffee, meeting other couples, families, having fun together. You know, it's not all serious. Like, life is about relationships and having a good time. There are different ways to have joyous times. In fact, you know what? There's a culture group that actually gets it really, really well. And you're going to laugh at who it might be. The Jews. They know how to party. Their dancing is a little, you know, but I'm just kidding. They have their thing. They use every opportunity to celebrate and eat food. Amen? Super Bowl every two weeks. It's awesome. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, it was celebration after celebration after celebration. It was days of celebration. What do we do? An hour and a half birthday party. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Community. So, when plans don't go according to plan, let me encourage you to consider there's more going on than you know. And if you can't see it because you're in it, the people you have invested in, I'm saying this on purpose, those you have invested in and know you can speak truth into you. People who church shop and who've come and gone, I, I've, I've heard it all in 26 years. Many people leave saying my needs weren't met or, or when they leave, nobody called me. Nobody chased me down. I'm not chasing anybody. If you didn't make, well, nobody called me. Well, who did you get to know? Well, you left early and you came late. Like, you no know, intentional community building. Now, on the front end, that's fine. But do not let that be your pattern. Get to know people. So you have a family like the Japanese they're a community, a communal group. So that when plans don't go according to plan, you draw from the love and comfort of your community. Last point on that. I see this in the funeral office all the time. When relationships are not taken care of, when they've gone kaput and nobody tried to mend anything and suddenly, boom, somebody dies. And everything's left bare. All the fangs come out. All the unforgiveness comes out. All the toxins come to the surface. Everything is shaken. And all the stuff you had let set all comes building up. And all you see is darkness. And I hear the anger and the hate and the, the fighting in families, even to the point of having to bring police into the home. 
either to keep people out or keep the peace there. Because you didn't think of it ahead of time. Let me encourage you today in your relational context as best you can. You can't with everybody. Make things right. Be at peace where you can. There's a lot of situations you can't. In fact, you probably shouldn't because it's so toxic. We're going to talk about how to get along in the next couple weeks. Not on Mother's Day. <laughs> but we're going to talk about how to work through some of the rough spots because life is about relationships. It really is. And my biggest and most important relationship is, is with my father. And as I get to know him better, all my other relationships are affected. And I want his gentleness and peace to be flowing out of me. And it doesn't always happen like that. And I want it to be that more and more and more. I'm sure we're all on that journey. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we are about to celebrate communion, common union, I pray you speak to our hearts. May we celebrate the good relationships we have. And pray for the ones that aren't so good. And today, in light of what we just heard, please be our reminder that when the stuff hits the fan, it's not what we planned. Didn't see it coming. We can call it to you. And you will remind us of your presence already in us. May we draw from that peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.